Good morning. Or perhaps I should have said Happy New Year. Because this is the first Sunday of Advent, the first Sunday of the church's New Year. And uh, this Sunday uh, we're going to light the first candle uh, for this season of Advent. So as we come into this Advent season, uh, that candle reminds us that we are celebrating the coming of Christ. Um, this is a time of the year to reflect on what God has been saying to us over this past while and to take the opportunity to pray to him, to ask him what he's saying to us now and what he's saying to us for the new year coming. And as, as we reflect and pray on those things, to reflect on our journey and our walk with him. This morning's reading is taken from Matthew chapter 14, beginning at verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. And sorry, Johnny, for standing here while you read that. Thank you for reading the, the reading for us. Today we are coming to the end of our series of Men of Faith. And quick recap, we have raced through from Genesis to the Gospels. We have looked at Noah and his faithfulness. We've looked at Joseph and his perseverance. We've looked at Moses' courage. We've looked at Gideon, who though he was the smallest, God used him to do mighty things. We've looked at Stephen, the first martyr martyr and his sacrifice. We've looked at Pilate and how he didn't take responsibility at a time when he should have taken responsibility. And last week we were looking at the unnamed man by the pool of Bethesda who Jesus heals. And from all of them we have learnt about these amazing characteristics, these virtues that rest and remain, that God calls out of all of us. And today we come to our final person. We come to our final man of faith that we're looking at, Peter. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. 
Thank you that it speaks to us. I pray that as I speak, that what is of you would take root in hearts and lives, and that anything that is not of you, you would just let fall away. But Lord, we open our hearts and our lives as much as our ears and our minds to hear your word to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So today I have the job of preaching on Peter, wrapping up a sermon series, and it's also the first Sunday of Advent. So I asked James last week if I could preach three sermons, and he nodded. He then said I couldn't take 45 minutes, which is fine because this will be an hour, so strap in. It won't be an hour. Unlike the other three people from the New Testament that we've looked at, Stephen, Pilate, and the unnamed man of faith, Peter appears across the pages of the New Testament. He is the second most mentioned person after Jesus. So in one sense, it's kind of difficult to pin down one reading, but also to pin down Peter. I wonder what sermons you've heard about Peter before. Peter the one who denied Jesus. Peter, the man who left everything. Peter, the one who promised the world and didn't deliver. Peter, the one who was told to feed sheep and lambs. Peter, the fisherman. Peter, the rock. There seem to be a lot of Peters out there. He seems to be a complex person. And in fact, I think that's part of the point. He seems really real because he reflects the complexity we see in ourselves and that we see around us. But specifically this morning, I'm supposed to be talking about tenacity, which is not a word that's in very common use. It comes from the Latin for holding. But our understanding of tenacity is much more the idea of gripping or grasping. One definition is the ability to hang on when letting go appears most attractive. The ability to hang on when letting go appears most attractive. And actually, that is a pretty good summing up of Peter. At one point, Jesus is preaching and people are walking away. They're like, this is too hard. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, are you going to? And Peter turns around and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter does nothing by halves. He is all in. He just doesn't quit. He's tenacious. On the Mount of Transfiguration, he's like, well, let's just stay here and camp. When Jesus is washing his feet, he's like, wash the lot, wash all of me. When Jesus says that the disciples will flee, he says, even if they do, I won't, I'll die for you. When he jumps into water, he tends to do it fully clothed. He is a man of big emotions, big expressions. But the Gospels are brutally honest about Peter's flaws, not just his good points. And we're just going to look at three of those today. So the first is, he believes. In the story we read that was read for us, he's the one who says, Lord, tell me to come to you on the water. 
He, his faith is big enough that he believes that not only can Jesus walk on water, but Peter can too if Jesus tells him to do it. When Jesus called him to leave his nets and follow him, Peter did. A couple of chapters later in Matthew, Jesus says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. In Mark 10, when the rich young ruler comes, Peter turns to Jesus and says, we've left everything to follow you. And at the end of John 21, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter believes. He believes that Jesus is the Messiah. He believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He believes that Jesus is able to do anything that is asked of him. He's tenacious in his faith. But he also doubts. He's walking towards Jesus on the water, and then he sees the wind. I'm not sure how he sees the wind. I'm not sure you can see wind, but he sees the wind, and he begins to drown. When Jesus starts to wash his feet, Peter, incredulous, is like, no, 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 that's not your job. You are never going to wash my feet. He promises he'll never betray Jesus. And hours later, he's standing in front of a fire and says, I swear I don't even know him. On Easter morning, he runs to the tomb with John and he looks in and he wonders. Later on, post-resurrection, post-ascension, in Acts 10, he sees a vision and God tells him to kill and eat unclean animals. And Peter's like, no way, not happening. I have never eaten or touched an unclean, unclean meat. I'm not starting now. And even later still in Galatians, Paul relates an, a moment where Peter caves into the pressure Jews don't eat with Gentiles. And Peter has stopped eating with the Gentiles. And Paul confronts him. So even post-resurrection, even post-being filled with the Spirit, even as leader of the church, Peter doubts. I think all of us can be like that. I think all of us are like that. I kind of get worried when somebody says to me they've never, ever, ever doubted anything, ever. I'm like, I don't think that's human. He wavers a lot. He has a divided mind or divided loyalty. One scholar has said that he embodies faith and doubt. He wavers his whole life, it would appear. So why does Jesus call him a rock? Peter comes from the Greek Petros, meaning rock. It's a pretty cool nickname to be given. I could think of a lot worse. But Peter doesn't seem like a rock. He seems like he's trusting at one point, and then he doubts, and then he trusts again, and then he doubts, and he flip-flops back and forth. And I'm thinking, really? A rock? 
One of the quotes I came across while I was preparing for this says, tenacity is setting a goal so you can't possibly achieve it and then growing into the person who can. I think maybe a Christian take on this would be that tenacity is asking God for his goal for your life. And Jesus gives Peter the goal. He says, you're going to be Peter. You're going to be a rock. And then through the filling of the Holy Spirit and a lot of time and a lot of mistakes, Peter grows into becoming the thing that he is called to be. The name that he is called by his saviour. But how does he get from being this waverer who believes and doubts and believes and doubts and believes and doubts to becoming the person who fulfills the calling on his life, who becomes Peter the rock on which Christ builds his church? He repents and he obeys. In the story read for us today, it is night. He is absolutely shattered. The disciples have heard that John the Baptist has been beheaded. They've gone off for some rest. 5,000 people have followed them. They've had a day of teaching. They've seen a miracle. They've done a huge amount of catering with bread and fish. And then Jesus asked them to pick up the leftovers. There is no strength left in them. They get in a boat to cross the lake. It's about a five-mile row. And eight hours later, they are still trying to get across the lake, battling a headwind, being battered by waves, beginning to wonder if they are going to be the next fishermen from Galilee that don't come home. Most of the people in that boat were pretty experienced fishermen. All of them would know of people who had not returned from fishing trips. In Northern Ireland, we have communities where I would think pretty much everyone knows a fisherman that hasn't returned home. And for the Jews, there was this belief that if you died at sea, that you kind of became a ghost. So in the wind and the waves and the noise and the exhaustion and the darkness, when the disciples see Jesus, it's no surprise that the first thing they say is, it's a ghost. I wonder if some of them thought, we're seeing what we're about to become. And it is in that moment of sheer terror that Jesus is like, it's me. Don't be afraid. And then Peter, typical Peter, blurts out, what if it's you, God? I want to walk on water too. Tell me to come. And he climbs out of a pitching boat, probably with a lot of help. He walks towards Jesus. Jesus walks towards him. And then as he sinks, rather than just going, oh, well, I will be a ghost, Peter says, Lord, save me. Save me. He's taken his eyes off Jesus. He's looked at the wind. He's doubted. 
but he turns back and he looks again at Jesus and says, save me. That's repentance. After Gethsemane, Peter comes back and is with the disciples and is restored. Again and again and again, we see in Peter God's grace. In this story, it says immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. Immediately. At the point that any of us dare to look at Jesus and say, Lord, save me. Jesus' response is immediate. He will reach out and catch you. So he repents. He obeys. The number of times that Jesus commands Peter or Peter and a group of other disciples to do something and Peter's response is immediately, immediate. Come and follow me. It says immediately they left their nets and followed him. Come to me. Peter gets out of the boat. He's not like, well, I'm waiting for you to get to the boat before, and then you can take my hand, and then we'll get out together. Thanks very much. Come with me, Jesus says, on a number of occasions, up the Mount of Transfiguration into a room where a 12-year-old girl has died, to Gethsemane. And at the end, Jesus says, teach them. Teach them everything I've commanded you. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up in front of a group of thousands of people and teaches them. In Acts 10, after he's overcome his not wanting to eat unclean meat, and God says, go, go with the people who arrive at this house, Peter goes with them. And probably for the very first time in his life, he goes with them to walk across the threshold of a Gentile household. Jews did not do that. Ever. But in obedience to Jesus, Peter breaks molds, breaks custom. Feed my sheep. Peter spends the rest of his life, even when he gets it wrong, pastoring and leading and preaching until he is martyred in Rome. Because, see, Peter understood this. He understood that faith is not just a thing in your head where you can agree with what the creed says. That it's not even something that happens purely in your heart. Peter understood that for faith to be faith, it's lived out in obedience. That faith permeates every part of who we are and what we do and where we go and how we talk and how we work and how we're, how we're an employee or an employer and how we use our time. And Peter got it wrong a lot. But he also came back and repented, was put right and started again. And that, that, is tenacity. So that's Peter. His legacy of faith. 
a man of faith, a man of doubts, a man who repented and obeyed. A model for all of us, for all of our lives, because there will be times where we get it wrong, where we will need to come back and say, Lord, save me. And there will be times where we doubt. And there will be times where we have faith. And all of this series has been talking about these great men of faith. And a couple of months ago, I started with Noah, and I said that the reason that Noah could be faithful is because God is faithful. And the whole way through this series, I have been thinking that actually the man of faith, of all men of faith, was Jesus himself. Because Jesus was faithful. Second Timothy says that if we're faithless, he remains faithful. Jesus persevered. He endured the cross. Jesus was courageous. He set his face for Jerusalem knowing what will happen. Jesus personified strength in weakness. He humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. He offered himself once for all as a sacrifice. Jesus, unlike Pilate, took full responsibility. In fact, he took responsibility not for his sin, but for ours. He who had no sin became sin for us. Jesus was a man of faith so that we might be found in God through faith, through the faith of Christ. It isn't our faith that saves us. It is the faith and faithfulness of Jesus. And tenacity. He reaches out and takes hold of Peter. And he will reach out and take hold of anyone here who will say and cry, save me, Lord. This is the season of Advent. And about a thousand years ago, a monk talked about the three comings of Christ. The first coming, the middle coming, and the final coming. The first coming was his coming in flesh and frailty, as a babe. The final coming is when he comes back in power and glory. But we experience, as Peter experienced, the daily middle coming of Christ, the invisible by the power of the Spirit, the daily coming of Christ to restore and to teach and to encourage and to lead each of us. Even as Peter experienced the daily coming of Christ, as he walked with him by the shores of Galilee and walked on its waters. So I wonder where you see Jesus coming to you today. And I wonder what he's saying. Come follow me. Come with me. Come to me. Teach them. Go with them. Feed my lambs.
And the question I have for all of us today is will we be like Peter? Will we obey? Father, thank you for Peter. Thank you for his life, his example and his witness. Thank you for his love for you. Thank you that even when he got it wrong, he so often turned and got it right. Put in us the same spirit of faith, and trust and readiness to repent and obedience as was found in your servant Peter. Amen. Today's closing benediction is a prayer that Peter himself wrote towards the end of his life. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen.